Akwaba, welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. Bite size where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be actively involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Today, I'm joined by a guest, football coach Alex Daly. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about your experience with football, who you've worked for, and your roles, your role, sorry, and responsibilities? Okay. Um, my name's Alex Daly. I'm a football coach based in London and Montserrat. I was actually born in Montserrat, and when I moved to London, uh fell in love with football and I moved to London because of a volcano crisis that my, my island had. So uh, I never played at a high level, but I always wanted to play for, for Montserrat, which I did. From there, I took on roles locally as a coach, like as a teenager, you know, when you, when you kind of figure out you're not going to be a top player, you, you kind of into coaching or other 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 roles and i've progressed that on to working with my national team and also i've done things outside that like work work with worked with local clubs and also had an internship at uh, crystal palace Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, I brought you onto the podcast because I was very intrigued as your experience, obviously, with Montserrat, which we'll get into a moment, um, because I drew parallels with Ghana and also on the back of our previous episode with Eugenio Senna in the approach to football in, in Italy. We spoke about clubs such as, obviously, Kiev and Atalanta, who pride themselves in developing talent to put those players in the first team or sell because they don't have large budgets of the likes of Juventus who have like a different approach, which is based on the psychological kind of aspect. Juventus are likely to capture obviously some of the best talents in Italy and also in Europe as well. So their emphasis was driven more on like the more, the mental side of the game and preparing players for first team football. Like, does that kind of like make sense? But also in our our conversation with Eugenio Senna, we discussed obviously the Italian Football Federation and obviously how they give out guidelines, very similar to um, the the English FA. But the the parallels, not the parallels, but the comparison we drew is that in Italy they don't follow those guidelines as much as they do in the UK. And a lot of Italian clubs, not that they don't in this country or in the UK, but a lot of um, clubs tend to have like an identity which they tend to follow. So um, very briefly, and also I know you've gone as to some of the, your experiences, but can you tell us about your experiences at Crystal Palace? Um, I know you said, and obviously I know you worked there as an intern in recording data and also a scout, but do you want to go into maybe a bit more depth as to the, some of the stuff you did there? Yeah, well, um, I initially kind of just emailed the local, uh, a lot of professional clubs because I wanted to kind of bring that professional aspect to Montserrat. So Palace got back to me and invited me for the 2016-17 season. And there I just kind of went on a... On my task was to just soak up as much knowledge as possible and learn as much as I can that I could take back. So I worked closely with the head of academy, with the first and second year scholars, uh, with the recruitment team, with the, with the data analysis team. And um, in my day-to-day, it would be to kind of get a rundown from the, from the head coach and head coach of the academy and set out the sessions beforehand, kind of assist with anything going on during and after 
record what we've done onto their what they call their PMA system that logs all their sessions. And um, that, that was like my, my main my main role while I was there. Okay, cool. Um, you touched on obviously playing for Montserrat, which I definitely want to get into in just a moment. But I just want to give a bit of back information as to maybe Ghanaian football or stuff going on in Ghana. Myself, obviously, I was born in London and I haven't been to Ghana in many a year. So the last time I went to Ghana was probably in 2000, straight 2001. So it's been a very, very long time. But my understanding of football in Ghana, based on, based through rows of family, friends, and obviously doing my research as well, is probably very similar to football in this country as to, let's say, local football. There was, or I'm going to say there was, there, there was a structure as to playing youth football, which are called Coles football, to which obviously boys will progress and obviously ultimately be picked up by professional football clubs. But again, obviously, from my understanding, there wasn't actually, or there isn't really an academy system in Ghana. And you have obviously first team, you have, you have football teams, you have professional football teams, to which obviously will pick these boys up at the level and the age to which obviously they're able to play professional football. But what I'd say is quite prominent at this moment in time is independent academies to which you may know of schemes such as Right to Dream and things of that nature um, to which they develop boys from a footballing standpoint, um, but also from an academic standpoint as well. But you also have, again, obviously with these independent clubs and things of that nature, you have a number of agents to which are taking boys obviously from Ghana and taking them into Europe to which obviously they can build their profile and hopefully you know, make it on the main stage, whether it's in the UK, Italy, Spain, or even the US, because that's become now a place where a lot of boys, you know, go to potentially make their name. Um, so that's kind of how the system is um, developing in Ghana. I know there have, in recent days, there have been one or two, there's been some information that's come out as to some of the changes as to the, um, to youth football in Ghana. But these are things that also might be a bit too soon for me to actually discuss as such obviously I probably need to wait for a lot of those things to kind of unfold but do you want to maybe briefly explain obviously how you became um, a youth international obviously with Montserrat I don't know if that came about by you playing football in this country or whether you were Montserrat at the time so that came about because of I would I would go to Montserrat yearly throughout my life really I'd, I'd, I'd always return to Montserrat and Ralph lived in England and developed that love for football Anytime I was I was in Monster, I'd ask about what was going on with, with football that was there, and that was the only, the only people that were doing it were was the Monster FA. So I'd join onto any kind of coaching session, any kind of training that they had, even as like a fourteen-year-old, fifteen, sixteen, those ages, and they would just know they'll know me from there. That basically they'll know me from always returning and always being one of the kids that really love football and lived in England. So okay, cool. Sorry, and like, just to give people an idea, I mean, how big is Montserrat? I mean, is Montserrat, I mean, obviously we live in the UK, so there's the UK, sorry, we live in the UK, but there's England, Wales, Scotland, etc., etc. Um, how would you scale it? I mean, is it as big as London, bigger than London? Smaller than London, I would say. Okay. I'd, say I'd say smaller than London. The population right now, would be under 5,000 people. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Living so, in Okay. And at what age did... Sorry, and apologies. What, when did you come... When did you say you came to, to London or the UK? Uh, when I was 10. You were 10? Yeah, when I was 10, yeah. Okay, and you began playing for Montserrat, say, from like 14-ish, maybe a little bit later. I played, yeah, that kind of age, that kind of 14-ish. But I played the... I played one official match 
as an adult in the World Cup qualifier in 2008. Okay. Yeah, that, that was one. And we had loads of friends. So what, what they'll do, they'll have um, training camps in England. Okay. Because that, that's the, the, the majority of our population lives in England. Okay. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I've trained and that when I was younger. And yeah, I played matches when I was an adult as well. Cool. I've, I've definitely got a number of questions. So, as to... Oh, sorry. Who did you play your World Cup qualifier against? So I think that's just interesting. Suriname. Suriname. We played okay. against Suriname, but we played in Trinidad because at the time, we both didn't have um, suitable venue. Okay, cool. And throughout your time, let's say from 10 to... I'm sorry, what age were you when you played for, when you played that game? When I played my official game. Your official game. How old were you at that point? Uh, 21. 21. Okay, cool. So we're talking about from 10 or let's say 14, from 14 to 21. So that's seven years. I mean, away from, so away from you going back and forth to Montserrat, I mean, how were they keeping contact with you as such? Because that probably lends into um, your roles or and responsibilities to which obviously you were um, building a database um, for Montserrat as to contacting boys as to their eligibility to play for Montserrat and things of the nature. So how were they contacting you at the time? So at the time, basically, it was very limited. It was phoning an uncle and asking if he could get down and ask on what's happening with football. There wasn't any, you know, social media or like a hub of information that I could just go to and find out what's happening with the team because you'd hear things from time to time about tournaments coming up in the news. So you'll see that. On FIFA website, you'll see, okay, there's CONCACAF matches and Montreal are meant to participate, but you won't get a direct call or anything at the time. So it will literally be phoning family members and ask them to go down there or to meet someone that they know works there to, to ask if they could contact me by email. And um, that'll, that'll be it, really. And were you playing? So you you were twenty one at the time. And who were you playing for in this country? I don't know. You might not have been playing for anyone. I'm not too sure. No, that, that, that's the thing. I, I, I didn't. I said before I didn't play at any high level. I played um, Sunday league, low semi pro level, where it was just the love of it. it. It was never. I never got to that stage where where I was a, a paid player, but I just I just always had the love for football. And just always knew that I wanted to play for Montserrat. So I just always kept at it. I think that's really interesting. And how many people did you play in front of when you play Suriname? Uh, a lot. Like a hundred. See, but I still, I still think that's really interesting. The reason why I say that, because like for, let's say, let's, let's say myself, for instance, for, for the average person, um, I played at the level as well. Probably at 20, yeah, at 21, I'd probably stop playing football money. So let's just, let's just say I was playing Sunday league football, all right? For someone to be playing Sunday League football and then all of a sudden to be propelled into playing a World Cup qualifier, that's, that's, that's a big deal in, in my opinion anyway. And that's something that you can put in your CV as to playing on that, on that major stage. Because despite the fact you're playing in front of 100 people, which for me is still a big deal anyway, whether you're playing... I mean, I still think it's a big deal playing in front of 100 people, but representing your country and playing um, in a World Cup qualifier is definitely a big deal. And I think it's something to, be, um, to definitely be proud about. So mm-hmm. after playing for Montserrat, how did you, I mean, how did the role about 
Um, I don't want to say, I don't even know what, how would you even describe the role, but obviously I know you said you built a database for players, you were scouting players to play for Montserrat and things of that nature, but how did that, how did that role come about and how did your previous experiences lend itself into that role with, with Crystal Palace? So that role came about, again, because I, I would visit yearly. I'd, um, I'd volunteer. I'd, 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 I'd volunteer to help the next generation of, of kids that were there to improve at football. So because of that, and because of living in London, I'd, um, you know, take what I knew and just pass it on to the, to the younger generation. And, you know, the more you help, the more they kind of ask you to help even more. It just became kind of transition where it wasn't ever like a sit down meeting. Hey, we need this, that. It was just like, we see that you, you really enjoy doing this. We can use some of, some of what you're offering. Cool. I, um, okay. And <laughs> I think this is incredible, by the way. So like, and how did you go about your role? Uh, sorry, the, before you answer, and the reason why I say it's incredible is because Again, obviously, for someone who's lived in this country for a very long time. So how old are you at this moment in time? Apologies for asking. 34. 34. Okay, so we're the same. I'm 35. Okay, cool. So for someone who's lived in this country for a very long time and worked for a professional football club in Crystal Palace, you'll understand the, let's say, a lot of the structures that are involved um, in this country, whether it's, playing, whether it's um, in coaching or being a scout for a professional football club, or whether it's actually working for the English FA, which is another conversation itself but you understand the structures um so for i mean i think i find the comparisons quite just quite interesting um but at the same time sometimes we take for granted i don't know, i think we take for granted the the structures that are in place and my i'm gonna say my my um i don't want to call them frustrations because i don't think they're frustrations is and again, obviously, you might be able to tell me a little bit more by way of the potential available for, for Montserrat with players in this country and potentially in other countries as well. But I find there's a lot of potential in this country by way of Ghanaian players. But I definitely know there's more in Italy, in Germany, um, and there's one or two other countries, Holland as well, to which I feel that we should be, I don't know, tapping into this talent. But at the same time, tapping into the expertise that you actually do have. So when you do go back home, we take, we take for granted the the level of expertise that we do have or the ease of access we do have to, to football. Um, so I guess my question is, I don't know, how did you go about your role, you know, with Montserrat, the steps, what did you do? Um, you mean on, on, on like a daily basis while I was there or just... Um, a bit of both. I mean, um, yeah, a bit of both. Um, it might be when you're there, when you're here. I mean, I mean, how did you go about um, building a database? I mean... Um, okay. you, yeah, how did you go about, yeah, I mean, so I'll break it down. So how did you go about building a database of youth and senior players? Okay, well, because through my life, being, being someone from Montserrat, there's not a lot of us. So from I was 10, I'd always notice when I meet someone that was from Montserrat, I'll notice their, their names or I'd, I'd recognise maybe people that I knew before when I lived in Montserrat. Yeah. And that combined with always loving football, it's like I just kind of placed it together. And when you look through local papers and you see a surname, you're like, that's a Montserrat, that's a Montserrat surname. Like, okay. I wonder if this person's from Montserrat. And from there, I, you know, got Instagram and kind of reached out to people. I'll be like, yeah, actually, my, 
mum's from Montserrat or my dad's from Montserrat and as I went along, I just found out more, even from playing football myself, playing Sunday league or whatever, I'd, I'd always bump into someone that had a Montserratian relative. I was just, I don't know if it's where I live, maybe where, where I live in London, I'd always, and they were really good players. I'm like, we could use you, because if, if I play for Montserrat and you're this good, you definitely, you, you will be, you know what I mean, appreciated. Like, and how, and how old and how old were these? I don't want to say kids, but how old were these people at the time? The ones that you're bumping into, that you're playing with, against. It, it would vary. It would vary. So, so there'll be some my age at the time. So there'll be some in their twenty in their twenties, and there'll be some younger. And there'll be people on TV. I, I, I look on TV and be like, that, that's just like, for instance, um, Tatus Bramble. Yeah, Bramble is a, co- a very common Montserratian surname. Okay, and. He actually he was offered in the end to pay for Montserrat, which he declined. But his brother did. His, bro- his brother paid for Montserrat, and up to now, people I've heard people talk about how good he was. That and his brother never paid at the level that he did. But that kind of showed at the time that even someone that played in semi semi professional football would make a big difference if they play internationally. In the Caribbean. Cool. And okay, so apart from I don't know, playing against people. I mean, so you mentioned obviously playing against people and recognizing surnames. Was there anything along the lines of maybe holding trials or or things of that nature? There would be from gathering names. The Montreal FA would would put on training camps, and you kind of you you and. So of all, I would forward some names onto them, like names and numbers, and say, well, there's a list of X amount of players that have said they're eligible to play. And in that training camp that they were held in London, the players would turn up, and from there, the coaches, the other coaches would look and see, you know, who, who can make the grade or not. And um, how many people would turn up to these to these training camps? Um, have 20 you have 20 20 people turn up cool and so this is for the seat is this for the senior team or is this for youth senior team this, this, this will be for the senior team cool 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 and how many boys generally would how many boys generally from the uk or from london would ultimately probably be selected to play and represent montserrat in montserrat for the senior team yeah the senior team is made up wholly of players from the uk this one it's it's it, even even back then the senior team is made up of players from outside of Montserrat so it will, it will be a lot so it'll probably be even more than 20 but I guess as the years go on then yeah. there will be you know more added in more added in cool and I had another question as well so like from those boys who represented Montserrat again obviously I'm not too sure what level they all played at but did any of them find further opportunities so for example in being a full international that they ended up finding that they got opportunities to play elsewhere a professional football club because a lot of these boys might have been playing semi-pro football yeah well I believe that some have progressed to other things but I don't know if that could solely be on playing for Montserrat that, that could be in what, what they've done in their own careers anyway because I'm not sure I'm not too sure how many people at the time and even to a certain extent now, respect Caribbean football. Yeah. 
to, to, to say that this is this is this will translate into the English system where we recognise that this is a good level and we'll take a chance on you. So people have progressed, but I'm I'm not sure if I could put that down to playing for Montserrat. For instance, we we had a boy that um he represented Montserrat on the on the 15. Yeah. Say about three years ago, but he was already he was already in an in an English academy. Okay. And up to I think earlier this year or last year, he's progressed enough to his own career that he got called up for the English Youth Academy. Okay. I mean the English Youth. Um, yeah. 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 So, so that's what I'm saying that people have progressed, but I, I don't want. I, I'm not too sure of how much the English system kind of recognizes what happens in the Caribbean. Cool. And how, I mean, is there any work to change that view and change that perspective? And the reason why I say that is because um, one of my, my other questions were like, what challenges did you face in your role? Whether it's as to facilities, lack of resources, or even a lack of data, because obviously the conversation we're having now is that you were coming across boys who you played with or played against, sorry, or you recognized surnames, which obviously had like Montserrat roots, you know, where it came from there. Um, so challenges, um, so yeah, that, that was challenges and resources. I'll say the lack would be people, <laughs> players, basically. The players would be our, our, our main kind of lack of resource because we have to rely on people outside of Montserrat. We, we don't have a league of, of, of any kind. Like the, the, the kids that play in Montserrat now are just train. They just train and play against each other. So our our lack is players. And a big help that we had was the FIFA grandparent rule where you could you could just have one one grandparent born in that country to, to be able to represent to be able to represent uh Montserrat. So because of that and because I guess there's a lot of Montserratian nationals in London. It makes it easier in a, in a strange way. It makes it easier because football is the, main, is the main sport here. Whereas in the Caribbean, you have to compete against cricket and even basketball. Okay. and so, in, Sorry, and apologies to cut you off. But like, um, if we're drawing comparisons with cricket and basketball... I mean, are they equally funded or is it a case of one has priority over the, over the other? And the reason why I kind of say that as to whether it's changing views and perceptions or speaking about a lack of resources is like, um, well, it makes a big difference, actually. If you have a lack of resources, and I mean financially, if you, lack of, if you have a lack of resources financially, it makes it very, very difficult to put infrastructures in place, such as having actually a football, having a, a football league in Montserrat, because you speak of kids training and kind of playing against each other, but it depends on, I don't want to say what level, but it depends what the structure is. It might be a case of, like, you just having a friendly, but if there's enough boys or enough teams to structure a league, then some way, somehow, there is some sort of filter system to which the way boys can actually develop. Um, so, FIFA, you know, they, they fund all of their member nations. Yeah. 
so the funding doesn't have to come directly from the, the I guess the Malaysian government. Mm-hmm. Whereas I get, but I don't think it's the same for cricket and basketball. Okay. So I'd say it's 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 a good thing that FIFA has or does fund that themselves or all the nations or it will be even I guess smaller like the the, the resources will be even less than, than it is now it's, it's it's good but I don't think it would survive if FIFA wasn't there okay no I, I definitely understand obviously the difference here is also we know people would fund Obviously, the English FA, in that, that's how it works. We fund all their members. But the way, I don't know, the, the UK is structured, et cetera, et cetera, in it being a financial power, the government funds projects such as football and initiatives such as football and things of that nature. So the FA, the English FA, I'd imagine will survive and be able to fund football without the, 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 um, the support of FIFA or any other governing um, governing board, if that makes any sense. Um, do you just want to go into maybe like, so like with the social media, again, was it an account that you were personally running by way of it being your your social media account or was it a case of um, the Montserrat FA having a specific account to which you were running and managing the social media? Yeah, well, it would be, I started it myself on on the basis that it would be for Montserrat FA, uh, and I, I, at the time, I guess they, I'm not, I'm not sure they exactly knew. They knew what I was doing, but I guess they didn't know how big it could get. Yeah. So, so I'd run it myself. It's always been me that has that has ran the account, but working, I guess, working for the Montserrat. FA, if that makes sense. Like my, my whole thing will be for, is it, it's, so. It's not, it's not no. It's not any kind of personal benefit to me. Of course, it's, it, it will be for them. But it's just like they never had any. They didn't have any input on on what I was doing on there. Okay, you know cool. I mean? And was there any other like online presence that the um the, um, the on? I mean, you spoke of online presence. So like, was there any other online presence that? the Montserrat FA had or like having trials and things that the nature had by way of generating interest? At, at that time, none at all. At, at that time, none, none at all. I, I would, uh, since then, there's, I think there's, there's a Facebook and there might be other Instagram accounts, but when I set up um, Instagram account, there still wasn't anything that anyone could go on and say, okay, I'll, I'll try to find something out about Montserrat. Um, There'll be, there'll be other ones that will be uh, kind of loosely based on the Caribbean. Uh, you know, Montserrat will be one part of it. But for directly Montserrat, it, it would be um, my, the one that I set up. Okay, cool. And how was, I mean, like for someone who, I don't know, was playing, let's say, I don't want to say Sunday, but someone who's playing Sunday League football, I mean, how did, I don't know, the complete change in circumstances be or feel in, in playing Sunday League football to then obviously attending obviously you know FIFA pre-match meetings and things of that nature was it something that felt um, of course it felt different but did it feel odd in any way shape or form and maybe do you want to describe or see what those meetings are like okay well um, 
I know earlier when I said I only played against 100 people, I was the happiest person playing against playing against those um, in front of those 100 people because it was always something that I wanted to do. Although I was, you know, playing, playing with other Sunday players and we did get beat, it was still one of the proudest things I've done in football to, to, to represent where, where, where I was from. And um, I guess frustration came because after that, there will be... The matches were few and far between. It would be like every two years, there might be one match. And I think that they changed it in, by the time they changed it in, I guess, 2012, I was completely out of football like, as a player by then. I was more into coaching and things like that. But what happened then is, again, that, that, that grandparent rule where more and more players will come out now and say, you know, I play at this semi professional level. I think I could help. And where it got to a stage where the, the level of players is completely different to how it was when I played. It's, it's like two, it was, I've done it's like England playing now and the England team when they were in the 1800s. Like to me, <laughs> like the, 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 the gap is so massive. And that that's, that's no slight on anyone that played with me. No, of course. But but it's 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 a very bad thing that I look at because I remember I, I support Monster as, as as a fan as well. So when I was a kid and everyone was supporting where they were from, you know, you, you support Ghana, you support England, you support whoever. You got a couple of results that you could say you pulled out. But of course, I was just coming well. We got beaten thirteen nil, or we got beaten. Five nil, or whatever. So the development that's been made so far is really good. If you could keep going that way, then we'll, we'll be one of the top teams in the Caribbean. To be honest. And like, what is the difference between the the preparation that was made back then, obviously when you're playing, to when you're kind of working um, as you know, as 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 a, as a staff member of of the FA. I mean, what is the difference? Because I know you said obviously you, you attended meetings, also you spoke of video editing um, and obviously um, watching opposition and things of that nature, pre and post match and things of that nature. So, what was that like? Um, that was really good. The, the, the about a few years ago when we played against um, Curacao, which is a which is a Dutch team. At the time, okay. it was. At the time, it was managed by uh, Patrick Clavert. And going into going into that game, I was I was in one of the meetings for. Um, I guess it's like the official meeting where they they you know they they check your passports, they they check that you, you've got everything in, in place, the kits, the, the the um what officials you have on on the bench. And who's going to be in the stadium? The time that you need to, like, you know, the layout of the runtime for everything. Whereas before, before it just felt like it kind of turned up, you know. But okay. yeah, how how it's gone now, where 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 everything's just a bit more professional. Everything's a bit more structured. I cool, understand that. And what would you say the expectations of the federation are? I mean, the aims and objectives, you know, and whether it's then and, oh yeah, I mean, whether now is obviously important, but 
I was going to draw a comparison with them. So, I mean, what would you say the aims and objectives of the Federation are? Is it a case of... Actually, I don't know. What, what, what would you, you tell me, what would the, the, the aims and objectives be? I'd say to... to I'd say we really want to qualify to a major tournament. And we were, we were one point away last time from the Gold Cup, which is our, you know, Euro or oh, no, our Afghan yeah, yeah. we, we were one point away last time. And um, before before the pandemic, we had a playoff game against Guatemala to qualify for the next one. Yeah, which, which is on hold now. So like that, we we are in touching distance of qualifying for for a major tournament where we'll test against the likes of Mexico, US. the United States, yeah. Canada. Those those kind of teams. So I really think that. that that is what 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 I say. Much like you know, football association, the players, the fans, everyone will really want to see happen within the next five years. Cool. I think you've kind of answered my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, what do you want, and what do you think the aims and objectives of Montserrat football should be for the next, say, five years? So, I know you spoke about qualifying for for a major tournament, but it might be a case of improving the the network, the football network, by the way of um, the way you um, obviously bring players into the to the national fold, or it could be a case of the the structure on the island by way of developing football there as well. So, what do you want for Montserrat football in the next say five years? I, I personally would like if 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 we could have if, if there was a league in Montserrat, if there was enough players, if there was a league, if not, maybe have a team that competed in a in a league in a neighbouring island um, for our nation to to kind of have its reputation a bit. We're still undermined being, people look at our population, not really our results in recent times, but kind of look at our, our population and say, you know, why like, like teams would tell players who, who, who are contracted the teams, why are you playing for that team? Like, why are you going there? Like, in, in a kind of, I, I feel a disrespectful way because no matter where you're from, if you want to represent that nation, and you can, no one should try to talk you out of it. A little somewhere because of, I guess, the size or because you haven't heard of them. So I like the reputation to be improved, but I guess that, that's, one, that's for other people to... I mean, we can only do our best to, to, to show, to show how, how, how good we are. Also, a stepping stone for some of the, some of the young players. Some of the young players that... Um, are in Montserrat who are talented. If they, if there was a way that they could step into a team in, in the UK, because that travel, because Montserrat's a British overseas territory, travel traveling from Montserrat to the UK, transitioning into it is, is very easy. Okay, cool. That's now, there, there won't be any visa visa issues or things like that. So, if, if there was somewhere that they could step into, like a, a club of some sort. Or a program that they could step into and kind of so they could further because the young people now seeing the results of recent times, the young people now really love football. The young people that, that do play football in Montserrat, they really love football and they, they, they want to have some sort of career. That they they, they, they want to play for Montserrat, they, they want to show that you know all this training that they've been doing has been for a reason. 
I think that's really interesting as to um, in in the fact that uh, Montserrat is obviously a British territory. I think I think what you raise as to them potentially being a part of some type of program. I think that's quite interesting. It's not, it's not something that I thought of previously, but in it being. I don't think it matters. Well, it might matter a little bit in the fact that it's a tiny island, but I think more so in the fact that the inhabitants are is not that big. So I feel there is room potentially to explore something of that nature where they could be part of a program to which you'll see to develop the the, the football in nation. Um, but like going into my next question, what did you take from your role? I mean, as to lessons and results i don't know i mean it seems like you were you were taking things on by way of not gesture um but i mean from from your from from your aims and objectives what were the lessons that you learned and even drawing them compa- in comparison to obviously some of the stuff that you're doing now in youth football um lessons i've taken away just you know lessons anyways because it's to keep to keep trying at even when the odds are against you just keep trying if if you want change and you want things to improve you, you want some kind of progression to just keep keep at things like to um i feel like if i didn't start with that initial for instance like the, with the date with the database and things like that then no one would like you kind of have to put your, your foot forward first you have to be the first person to be you know i'll try even if it might look hopeless, or it might look like you know no one else is doing it, so why why bother? The, the, the lesson would be to just kind of persevere, just keep keep going forward. Cool. And based on your experience in football, like in Montserrat in the Caribbean, obviously here in London, what would your advice and steps be as to the development of football in Africa? Africa, from outside of looking in. Yeah, from yeah, I mean because. Yeah, in the outside looking, it doesn't have to be one of you having yeah. a, lot of, a lot of knowledge. It might be a case of, based on my experience here in, in Montserrat, based on where, what yeah. I've seen physically on the ground and mm-hmm. what I would like next and seeing where Africa is by way of, I don't know, Jim, we, we've seen obviously African players playing in the Prem and obviously around the world and stuff like that and there being a lot of potential. What would, you, what would, what would your advice be as to the next steps in the development of football in Africa? I'd say that the, um, the people... The people in power, like for, for football, the people in charge of, of, of whether it's the league or the association, to really, you know, take in developing their domestic league, and supporting, supporting their players, and that they're, they're really talented players as well, before they move abroad and represent someone else, like to, to kind of start things at home. You know, look after look after the guys that you have at home. And also reach out to the guys that, that um, the diaspora. Reach out to them because there, there's a, there's a lot of players out there that have maybe gone to the wayside because either they didn't know that they could represent um, another country or they, they, they never had the offer, so they never really pushed it any further. And if I guess if there was if more countries had uh, um, maybe. A, Scott kind of looking at those specific players as well, then it could really improve it could really improve football on you know, whether it's in the youth international or full full senior international. I think that's really interesting. Um there's a couple of things you mentioned obviously as to the diaspora. So like 
Do you think there's a, a breakdown in communication between those back home and the diaspora? Uh, because I, yeah, I'll be honest, I feel that is the case, certainly for myself, um, being here. Well, I haven't been back to Ghana in many years, so obviously, naturally, I think that will come about. But based on my experience in, um, based on my experience, I feel that is the case. There are a number of boys who which have contacted me and asked, how can I actually get involved and play football for Ghana? But I would have thought that these structures would have been in place for that communication to be a lot easier in that they would have known about these players maybe beforehand. I know it can be difficult because these players are, some of them could be quite young, you know, as um, 14, 15, and it'd be quite, it can be quite difficult, I'd imagine. I think maybe just a little bit difficult to get your hands on that type of information. But we're living in 2020 where, you know, getting that type of information shouldn't really, in truth, be very difficult. I mean, a good example would be you've got those in Ghana, You've got people here in London like myself, or you've got people in the UK like myself, and you've got people in Europe, very similar to myself, those who can be in touch or have a strong presence as to finding out, you know, who these players are and keeping a track and keeping tabs on these individuals as to the development. But also another good point I think you raised as well, which is in the control of a lot of these football federations is to develop, obviously, the league back home. Obviously, I know there's only um, a limited amount of resource, resources, and that's not to that's not to provide that's not to provide a um, an excuse for people. But in having that, apologies, in having those resources, I don't know. I just feel there's a better chance for success. Um, when it comes to players and that's well, then. That that's a real that's that's what I work with, so it, it's a real it's something I've thought about long and hard because there's ways that it can go wrong. For instance, that, that, that some other nations in the Caribbean have, have tried and failed when when bringing players from overseas, like um, teams like like Antigua and Jamaica, where they've bought players. They, they have leagues themselves, decent leagues, them local leagues themselves, but. I guess when they found out about that rule, they kind of just bought anyone, which then creates animosity in between the guys locally and and the ones coming in. Because yes. sometimes it might create a thing Well, if there's two ways of looking at it, the guys coming in are like, well, I'm coming in obviously because they're flying me over because I'm good. And... Maybe I'm a, I'm I must be better than what's already what's already here. Yeah. And the players that are already there are looking like, well, this, I haven't seen anything that's that fantastic about who who you've brought in. So that, that that has that that sometimes creates that creates a, a kind of divide in in the in the team. Marseille doesn't have that have that problem because because of our situation where. Between the ages of 18 and 30, people usually leave for the UK or the US. Anyhow, so the, the, and because there's no league, like our, our, our team plays and acts like an English team, like when it, when it comes to mentality, because there, there's a big there's a big difference. I guess being from somewhere, like raised and and living in that place for all your life, and I guess having maybe if you left when you're young or if, if you have a parent, like culture-wise, 
that you would have to kind of assimilate in, kind of blend to make one good team because you all have to play together. Yeah, you all have, you have to work, you all have to work. There, there's there's things that you need to overcome which people don't really look at uh, when it comes to picking players from from that live overseas. That's what I mean. No, no, I definitely understand what you mean. I think a lot of the stuff that you said has been um, quite insightful, actually. I mean, so you mentioned, I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been really insightful, actually, because I, mean, I didn't actually expect this type of conversation as to um, the real differences as to maybe like a lack of, I mean, I know there's a lack of resources um, depending on what, what country you go to from a football perspective, but because obviously the inhabitants, obviously, of Montserrat is not, there's not a lot of inhabitants. I didn't think that was going to be some of the issues that we'll be discussing today. So I just find that really interesting how we've drawn con- con- comparisons with Montserrat and obviously in Africa as well, where potentially those who are the diaspora can potentially come back home and have issues because those who are in Ghana, for example, might have issue with the fact that people, which they may deem potentially as outsiders, have come in and have taken their opportunity. And I think those things do actually or have become contentious contentious points. I mean, these are things that I've read and, and seen in the past. And I think it's quite unfortunate because I think what we don't actually understand is that, you know, we're going in the same direction and the same goal. So it do, there doesn't need to be any, any fractions. And the better the nation does, the better opportunities everybody will ultimately exactly. have. So, so it's a really, it's a, it's a difficult one and it's not a difficult one. For me, we should be all going in the same direction. But unfortunately, those factions do actually do take place. That's it for this week's, this, no, sorry, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for your time, Alex. Um, I think, as I said before, it's been really insightful. As usual, we posting on social media and keeping up with the stories as they unfold, obviously, in the coming weeks. As always, you've got any questions or queries, um, because I think this was a really interesting conversation, email us at teamgarneu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at TeamGarnEU on IG or Twitter. Um, Thank you, take care, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.